Hello and welcome back to our study of the book of Revelation uh, in this uh, now, I guess, fourth installment, fourth or fifth installment of our, of our series on this really important book. And we're glad you could join us for it, and uh, we hope you continue to do so. Uh, this week, we're going to continue in chapter two as we look at these letters to the seven churches that the author is, is conveying from Jesus. This is all a vision that he is seeing, and Jesus is, is in this vision telling him to write these things to these churches. And we do want to uh, emphasize and stress that we're reading something written to someone else. And so we have to step back and look at it in the context that it was written in and hopefully understand what that means um, and how that applies to us. But we do need to understand it in their context. And, and this was the context of persecution. These places, these Christians in these places are facing a level of persecution that you and I have never known and hopefully never will. Uh, but... <clears throat> The message is it's, it's not going to end anytime soon. And their call is to be faithful and to orient themselves on, to, on Jesus and, and on uh, him as our Savior uh, and so, have a, a more eternal vision. So we're in chapter 2 and we're in verse 8 uh, uh, where it begins to address the, the place known as Smyrna. Uh, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. And then these things are written. Now, let's give a little context to Smyrna and, and where that was and what it is. It's a port city, uh, and it was very well known for its beauty. Uh, it's a beautiful place, and it was extremely loyal to Rome, loyal to Caesar, loyal to the emperor. Uh, and they would often, these cities would often compete with one another to, for who was the most loyal, uh, uh, which city was the most loyal and known for its favorability with Rome. I'm not really sure where... <clears throat> Smyrna would rank in that department, but it was something that was very over the top, something you know that, that would have been noticeable enough to cause Christians some issues in these places. Smyrna, like some other places we'll talk about, were run by trade guilds, uh, and these trade guilds controlled life, they controlled culture, they controlled society, and they controlled who got what jobs and who was able to work in, in what profession. And so if you weren't someone that was considered a favorable individual, well, you didn't get considered for those jobs. You didn't have the opportunity to be a part of that profession, and you were relegated to menial jobs and menial tasks. Um, Any time that groups of people would get together in Rome, and particularly in Smyrna, at public events, at meetings, wherever it was, it was expected that you would light a little bit of incense, and you would say the phrase, Caesar is Lord. This is a common thing that it kind of reveals itself in Revelation that God is calling on his people to remember that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. and we, we don't become entangled in the worship of our leaders. And, uh, and that's a theme throughout this, this letter, particularly or through this book, particularly these letters to the churches. And so this was, was common. It would have been very similar to what you see in uh, the 30s and 40s in Germany. Uh, where the common phrase of Heil Hitler was invoked uh, as a sign of loyalty, as just a, a thing that people said that was meant to express a loyalty to a particular leader, to a particular way of thinking. Christians in Smyrna would not do that. They would not uh, pledge their allegiance to, to Caesar. They would not uh, give their loyalty to the emperor. And so they were often excluded and relegated out of meaningful professions and into more menial lower class professions and, and work. And that meant that it 
had an impact on their families. Let's read in Revelation chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 8. <clears throat> to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, The first and the last who was dead and who has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what uh, you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. We have the second death cropping up again, as we talked about previously. Uh, the second death being the true, the, the physical death. Uh, we die once to, to, to ourselves when we're baptized into Jesus Christ. We die a second death when our physical life ends. So this is why Jesus addressed them like that, uh, because of what was going on with the, with the trade guilds, with them being second-class citizens because they would not profess their loyalty to Caesar. So let, let's understand, though, what that means. By simply not saying Caesar is Lord, they, were, they, they had condemned their families to lives of poverty, to being a part of the lowest order, to having the worst jobs. They were voluntarily, essentially, um, allowing themselves to be persecuted because they simply wouldn't say these words. Uh, and, and the persecution of Christians, as Jesus says here, is not going to end. It's going to get worse. It's, it's not going to get better right now. They've already suffered so, so very much. And it would continue for generations, and there would not be a break. And, and that is what Jesus makes clear here. You know, sometimes, this is a fairly dark message here. He's saying, I, I know that things are bad, they're going to get worse, and they're going to stay that way for a while. Uh, and Smyrna was a particularly bad, uh, the great Christian leader of the second century, Polycarp, was killed there in 156 AD. So this was a place, a hotbed of persecution for Christians. And the people of Smyrna, the Christians of Smyrna, knew that God was not going to take this storm away from them. He was not going to uh, remove this persecution. And their job was not to beg that, that God would remove the pain and remove that, uh, that storm, but their job was to be faithful through it. It seems here uh, that some of the Jews in Smyrna were causing problems for the Christians, probably by conveying to Roman authorities that the Christians were not a part of the Jewish faith, and therefore they weren't a protected religion. They separated themselves and kind of sold out uh, the Christians uh, and so that brought more persecution on them. And Jesus is warning them that that's not going to end well for them on earth, but that it would end well for them in heaven, and to look forward to that. Now we move on into verse 12 to deal with uh, the city of Pergamum. Pergamum's just kind of a fun word to say, Pergamum. But Pergamum uh, is also uh, a, a city of about 180,000 people, also run by, uh, by the, trade, the, the trade guilds, uh, as many of these cities were. Pergamum, uh, its geography is notable for a massive hill uh, in this city, and it was covered in temples, temples of worship. And the largest of these temples uh, was dedicated to Augustus Caesar. Three of the temples um, that were on that hill were dedicated to emperors, and, and the largest of which was to, to Augustus Caesar. Now, people were already being killed for their faith in Pergamum. 
uh, people were already being martyred. And that word martyr, we hear that a lot in, in terms of people who die for their faith. That word martyr just means witness. Uh, it means one who witnesses. And, uh, and so we're going to read here um, about, uh, about Pergamum. Verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. Now, who, who would that be? Well, that would be Jesus. Remember, at the very beginning of Revelation, when the vision first comes to light for, for John the Revelator, Jesus is standing there, and he has a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. So, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, martyr, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who uh, kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. Now, let's stop there for a minute. We'll get into this, uh, this worship of false gods here in a moment. He's specifically, it seems, calling out a particular martyr, uh, a particular person. People were being martyred in Pergamum already, and one specific one seems to be mentioned here uh, that, uh, that Jesus is talking about. Refers to him as my witness, which would be a martyr. Uh, and Jesus warns that there are some, that, that there are some who are weakening who are becoming worn down by persecution, weakening and offering sacrifices to idols like Balaam, uh, and and keeping the teachings of Balak and putting a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacri uh, that were sacrificed to idols, to commit acts of immorality. Uh, so you also have some who, in the same way, hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. We talked about them last week. Uh, we're talking about antinomians. Now we don't know specifically a lot of the practices of the Nicolaitans. But we do know there were a lot of groups who were causing confusion amongst Christians because they were uh, promoting this antinomian uh, doctrine, which means certain laws of, uh, don't, no longer apply. They were using the liberty of Christians to convince Christians that certain laws didn't apply, most notably laws of sexual immorality and sexual sin, and bringing those into the worship, making them a part of the worship. And this was plaguing a lot of churches of the time as they were trying to combat the teachings of groups like the Nicolaitans and other antinomian uh, groups. So he's saying, you're, you're letting these people get in your way. You're letting them influence you. Therefore, verse 16, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. So he references that sword that is in his mouth. We're talking about the words of Jesus. He's saying, you need to deal with them. Otherwise, I'm going to deal with them, and I'm going to deal with them in my word. He who has an ear, let him hear. This is verse 17. What the Spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but the one who receives it. Um, so again, he, he's warning, he gives a warning about the kind of behavior that the antinomians were, were promoting. And he mentions specifically the Nicolaitans and, and their group. And we don't know... Um, exactly who these people were. It's possible that the people who read this knew who they were and knew who he was talking about. These groups may have had their own lists, separate lists of the sins which were now freedoms. And so one thing to remember here uh, when we're dealing with unholy behavior, immoral behavior, 
Jesus is calling on them to repent from this because he doesn't want to have to deal with this in a more strict means. Uh, the law of love, the law of love uh, trumps all things. The law of love uh, gives rise to the kind of behavior and holiness that Jesus is asking of us. When we love one another, we don't do wrong to one another. When we love one another, we don't uh, put things in front of people that are stumbling blocks. And we should remember that, that what, what Jesus is calling them to here is a law of love to combat these things and to ca and, and now that doesn't mean we just accept everything and everybody's happy a law of love is how we treat people and what our attitude is and we can't forget that and sometimes we're going to be faced with things that we have to call out and say that's wrong that's a sin but we must do so with love and we must do so because of love because we love one another enough to protect one another from those things or we love those who are practicing immorality out of ignorance and we want to correct them the author here uses this term, uh, double-edged sword. Uh, Pergamum was one of the few cities that Rome had given the power to of capital punishment. And swords were a commonplace thing to see in the streets, and death was a commonplace thing. And because Pergamum had the authority for capital punishment that Rome had given them, the language here about a double-edged sword would have made perfect sense to them. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to come with you with my own sword, and we see elsewhere in Scripture um, where the, the Word of God is described as a double-edged sword because Jesus doesn't miss his mark. Jesus always has true aim. Uh, and when he strikes with that sword, not, not in a violent way, but he is able to pierce and, and discern and expose the heart. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to expose the heart. I'm going to root out those who are causing these problems unless they are willing to correct what they have got wrong. Uh, and God's decrees and laws are, are referred to as sharper than any two-edged sword because of that. So we move on now to, um, to verse uh, 18. And uh, we're dealing with uh, Thyatira. Thyatira, or Theatira, uh, the church here uh, in verse 18, says to the, to the angel of the church of, of uh, Thyatira, write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet are, uh, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says that. So every time he, the author or Jesus is speaking, he says, write this, and his introduction of who he is, is refers back to the description given early in Revelation. And so here we have the one whose eyes are like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. Um, Thyteria was as uh, a much smaller town than the others. Okay, it was a smaller town, a smaller place, but it was also ruled by the trade guilds, uh, and its size made it even harder for Christians to fly under the radar. When it's a smaller group, things are more exposed, and so Christians were, were well known. And um, there was in this place a a female prophet of some sort. Um, and, and it, it seems specific that it was a, sp a specific female, not a group of women uh, or, or a mixed group. It was a female prophet who was misleading people and claiming that she knew Satan and knew of his ways and knew how to disarm him. And so this was causing some people to lose their fear of Satan and causing some to, to let their guard down and willing to enter into the worship and, and the feasts and the culture of those around them because they no longer feared Satan because of this misleading. Let's, let's read here this letter to, to uh, Thyatira. 
Uh, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds, and I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in uh, Thyatira, who do not hold the teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call him, as they call them, uh, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken into pieces, as I, I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, lot to lot to break down here. So, there are some who have been led astray by someone who claims to understand the ways of Satan. They no longer, they begin to no longer fear Satan. It would be like them saying, "Hey, look, I, I, I've got an in. I, I know, I know who Satan is. I know how to defeat him. So you don't have to worry about him. So you can do all these things. You can participate in these types of worship and in, in these feasts and these things that are not of God, because I have this knowledge and spread this misinformation and spread this." Uh, th this falsehood around and led many, many people astray. And, and Jesus is warning to watch out for this and also warning this person, I'm going to strike you down. I'm going to destroy you if you do not repent. I've given you a chance to do so. Let's look at a couple of, um, a couple of verses here in, in reference to this. Uh, first, let's go to 1 John, because it's not too far back from Revelation. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we are warned uh, in Scripture that there are going to sometimes be things that seem true or that look like they're from God that are not. And we have to be cautious because Satan, Satan does that. Satan tries to do that. Uh, Deuteronomy now. Way back. So let's go to Deuteronomy and start um, in, verse, in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come from excuse me, does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it uh, presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. And then let's go back even further to Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet, or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God warns us from early, early on in his relationship with his people 
that there are going to be those who present themselves as servants and messengers of him who are not, in fact, servants and messengers of him. The promise to them, and going back to Revelation now, the promise to these he's writing to is that uh, they will have authority over the nations and the morning star. Now, we need to understand we don't necessarily know what this means. But the people that read it, the people it was written to, they did. It was something that was meaningful to them. And they would have understood that, and that's a reminder that we're reading someone else's mail. But what we do know is that Jesus calls himself the morning star later in this book. Jesus refers to himself as the morning star. Now that is a contrast to Lucifer, Satan. Uh, the name Lucifer means morning star. And that was the name that was given to the planet Venus, which was the brightest uh, in the sky just before the dawn. And uh, Theatira had a temple uh, in, its, in its city to Venus. And Venus kind of stood in for the gods that they worshipped in that area. So given that information that we know, uh, this would seem to be a reference to Satan and his claiming of being the morning star, Jesus who later calls himself the morning star, and the fact that Venus, the morning star, was a, uh, a point of worship for the other gods in the area. It seems from all this that Satan uh, wants Jesus' title. He wants Jesus' title. Uh, we see that in Isaiah. We see that in Ezekiel. He wants to usurp the position of Christ. To this very day, as those verses we read earlier teach us, we have to be cautious. We have to be cautious because Satan likes to disguise himself as an angel of light. He likes to disguise himself as things that seem to be from God or seem to be good. That was what Theatira was dealing with, with this person spreading falsehood. Uh, it sounded like someone who had special spiritual understanding or knowledge, when in fact it was someone who led others astray. So as we close, let's check out a couple of other verses and hear the words of the Lord uh, in this way. First, uh, we'll look at 2 Corinthians. You turn to 2 Corinthians and to chapter 11. And we will begin in verse 13 as soon as I find it. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. And then we'll go back again to 1 John and read the words there in 1 John chapter 4. And let's read verses 1 through 3 again, as we read a little bit earlier. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now is, it is already in the world. Well, we'll have much more to say about the Antichrist, as that word is typically associated with any study of Revelation. Uh, but it's probably not what you think it is. 
um, because some, every seems like every generation we have a new antichrist uh, that people point to. But uh, let's look at that in the context, and we'll look about that. Uh, look at that as it comes about in the text. Thank you so much for joining us this week in our study of Revelation, and we'll see you next time.